What's up, guys? Welcome to our podcast. This is officially our first episode, so if you would like to sponsor or support the channel, I put links and merch in the description. Make sure to like and follow our channel for more exciting content. Let's just jump right in. So to be completely honest, this episode was supposed to be our radical change to the environment and personal health, but when we tried some common solutions suggested by our society, we found that they do not always fit into every lifestyle. We just decided to let you decide whether the change is worth it or concurrent with your groove. Now let's just jump right in! Recently, I have seen a presentation on the effects of modern agriculture on our environment from the Ethical Choices Program, delivered by Greg Farr. I was inspired by the implications of saving the environment and becoming healthier, but did not necessarily want to go vegan yet. Because transportation is the second highest emission contributor, I decided that I would ride my bike to Camp Overready High School to and from six miles round trip for a week. I swept the dust off of my bike seat, replaced the flat tires, and even purchased a new bike lock to prepare for this adventure at 6.30 in the winter morning. I was excited to try something new, especially after looking up some top 10 reasons to ride my bike to school. Although it was a slightly clickbait article, the top 10 reasons everyone should ride their bike to work from Momentum offered benefits such as fun, fitness, happiness, brain power, money, fresh air, convenience, and freedom. When I woke up at 6, I felt as though I had nothing to lose. However, my actual experience was radically different. When I got started, I took the wrong route and ended up going longer than I should have. My bike chain was starting to squeak, my quads were burning, the cars whizzed by me extremely fast, and the smell of gas was overpowering. With two more miles to go, I was considering swerving into the cars behind me. However, the world requires a solution. As I pedaled, I had a change of heart. I now saw these cars and the, dri- and the drivers as disgusting animals, destroying the environment willingly. I am the superior being, smarter, stronger, and more open-minded. I looked down on everyone as less than me, especially when I came to school and started telling my friends, you should start riding your bike to school. Of course, they laughed at me and told me I was an idiot for riding my bike to school for an English project. Well, who's laughing now because my blood pressure is optimal and I help save the world from carbon emissions. So, of course, not everyone will be able to ride their bike to school every every day, but I do believe that a little bit makes a difference, especially in my gas savings. And everyone should at least have some interest in saving the environment. In the words of Rachel Carson from her book Silent Spring, There are millions to whom beauty and the ordered world of nature still have a meaning that is deep and imperative. And just like I did, people nag and bother others to try and persuade them to see the world as important enough to save. However, I would say that this is not an effective way to help with problems like global warming. Personal decisions to make changes should come after careful consideration of pros and cons. And after trying something for a week like our group did, in the end, I guess I would ride my bike to school again, but now I realize why people use fossil fuel. So you might catch me on the road with my bike sometime soon, and I can wave to you on your bike, because for me, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. The Struggle to Drain Lil Wayne by Chad Roderick. After drinking two full 24-ounce water bottles in the fourth quarter on top of the gallon I had drunk prior to the game, I began to feel the most excruciating pain I had ever experienced. The pressure was weighing on me as if I was carrying a school bus. But that's the thing, I was on a school bus. A school bus that didn't have a restroom, didn't have frequent stops, and didn't have sympathy for me. My mind toyed with ideas on how to find relief. Could I make it back to the school? 
Would it be socially acceptable to urinate out the window? Sadly, we were still nearly 45 minutes away from home and peeing out the window would bring way too much attention to myself than I presently wanted. And besides, the poor car downwind of me would probably cast his eyes to the heavens in search of torrential rain clouds that were surely not in the weather forecast. It was at this moment when my eyes spotted an empty water bottle across the aisle in someone's hand. I quickly snagged it. I was getting into position when it dawned on me what I was about to do. My aim had to be pristine. One wrong move and I would shower myself in a clear acidic liquid that was definitely not 7-Up. My heart rate began to rise and despite the most horrendous pain, stage fright filled my soul. This was it. Someone had just dammed Niagara Falls and if they didn't open the spillway soon, the dam was going to burst. What possibly could have made the situation worse? Thankfully, after what felt like hours of labor, I relaxed and was able to drain the tank. Reflecting back on this experience, I still can't understand what I was supposed to gain by drinking all this water. I was told that if I drank it, I would not get leg cramps during my game. My calf did indeed clench into a baseball at the beginning of the third quarter. I was also told that it would keep me, forgetting, keep me from getting exhausted and I would be able to push myself harder. I had to take my pads off and lay down on the cold locker room floor during halftime just to catch my breath again. So far, only one of those claims held true that day. I really was able to push myself harder as that water came flowing out of my body with a force similar to a fire hydrant. Other claims to fame about water consumption include those given by Hallie Gould in her article, This is what happens to your body when you drink a gallon of water a day. She announces that by committing to drinking half your body weight in ounces of water each day, or aim for that gallon, research says you can expect to lose more weight. I have still not lost weight. I've weighed a buck fifty for three years and I'm actually starting to gain weight. In addition, a recent presentation by the Ethical Choices Program presented by Greg Farr helped me to learn the importance of water intake and the role water plays in helping the body create muscle tissue. Apparently, it takes 1,800 gallons of water to produce one pound of hamburger. When I considered this fact, I came to the conclusion that I need to drink the ocean if I truly want to receive the lean muscle tissue that Coach Cornell desires. Despite what I have experienced, some of the miracle effects of water consumption do work wonders in some people's lives. In Americanization is Tough on Macho, Gilbalt describes Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone as the American Macho, and after watching The Terminator and the Rocky movies, I have seen them fulfill that stereotype. Their swollenness levels and the sweat that floods their extremely tight shirts indicate that those boys drink their water, and I don't deny it. However, that is only one success story among the many other failures. I just felt the need to voice my experience with a gallon and a half of water in one day. The frequency of urinations in a single hour made it seem as if my bladder was non-existent. The afflictions that were supposed to be cured, including cramps, exhaustion, and the inability to push myself, except for my built-in fire hydrant, have led me to question whether or not I should be drinking the water. But don't take my word for it. Try it out. Drink your gallon of water in a day, and when you have to lose a coyote point each time you go to the bathroom, I will not hesitate to tell you I told you so. Ring-a-ding, dang it! By Emily Gillette. So, we had this lovely two-day presentation by Mr. Greg Farr about some ethical choices programs and the problems in society today. If I'm going to be honest, yeah, the world has some depressing stuff going on, but I'm just an average teenage girl. How much could I really do? 
the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to make one of these studies that adults are always blobbing about and see if any of it was actually true. So I sacrificed my love of texting, vining, stalking Tom Holland, and anything and everything that had to do with my phone and locked it in a pink treasure box for seven days. Mostly I noticed the smallest things, like when my teacher would say, oh, take a picture of this, and I'd end up handwriting in an extra paragraph, or when every website open for an assignment was blocked on our fabulous Chromebooks and I didn't have a backup resource to depend on. One day I even went a full 30 hours without knowing my brother who lives in Texas, newborn baby's name. I will say I did have some fun with this lack of a phone, like seeing all the adults' faces, when I told them I actually voluntarily gave up my phone and the guilt majority had when they admitted they could not do the same. It honestly surprised me. Also, I found out that when my friends actually wanted to hang out with me, I was like a kid again. They'd either contact me through my mom or get this, come to my front door. During the seven days, I remembered this guy, Simon Scenic, I'd seen on YouTube, who argues phones are addiction, corrupting the minds of teenagers, and I tried to see if he was actually right about anything he claimed. I did find it was offsetting that whenever I was in an uncomfortable situation where I didn't want to look lame and just sit there, I did miss my phone. But I wouldn't say I was losing my mind because the dopamine was taking over. Sometimes it stinked looking up and seeing every person around me on their phones. But then there were also other instances when no one was checking their streaks or responding to a snap from their friend across the hall when we actually just messed around and didn't care what was going on elsewhere in the world. It reminded me of Horace Miner's Nakarima story where the American society gets lost in materialism. It's easy to read that short story and find the problems in a different culture, but for some reason when it comes to ourselves, our ability to recognize and change what we know to be wrong is completely phased. Ironically, the two people who went the most crazy in this little experiment was actually my parents. Although my mom loved the idea of her 16-year-old going phoneless, that also meant no find my friends. I was free. My dad literally counted down the days that, quote, this stupid thing would be over. Even worse, though, was day eight when I got my phone back. I'd been so used to not having it around that um like 11 that night i drove down the main road forgetting it was on the back of my car and long story short it got hammered and by multiple cars and is officially dead so after losing more than 8,000 precious photos and videos forever i ask was it worth it how did my experiment go the truth to me was it's hard going phoneless in a phone obsessed world but i realized if i had my phone taken away for a week i would have hated every second instead it was my choice and i can honestly say i'd do it again um i found that out of all of this i didn't even think going completely phoneless is the answer there are benefits to having these advancements that simply shouldn't be taken away but when it comes to teenagers it's not about just asking uh, or it's not about just taking away their phones because spoiler just makes them want it more (laughs) it's about teaching them there are better things in life than sitting on your phone all day and actually just going out and living life so even though it was painful and at times torturous and i'd really hate to say it i truly do think this experiment helped me out
What is up, my friends? My name is Derek Monker, and I'm here to deliver this act called One Billion Minus One. First off, I just want to get talking about social media. Honestly, what an amazing invention. Random knowledge and information are at your fingertips. You want to see what your favorite celebrity had for lunch? Go look at her Snapchat story. You know, within a matter of seconds, that cute boy in your seventh hour, want to see more pictures of him? Just go jump on Instagram and stalk the heck out of him. Scroll through his whole feed. Look at every picture. Stare and admire for hours on end. Just like how Emily Gillette does with Tom Holland's Instagram. You know what? I'm starting to think social media is a creeper platform more than a social one. But I mean, over 1 billion people across the world have Instagram downloaded on their phones. Considering there's 325 million people living in the United States, that's a lot of people. In the truly eye-opening presentation given by my boy, Gregory Farr, he spoke with the utmost alacrity, posing thought-provoking questions that made me rethink and reshape my viewpoint on life. After all was said and done, I wanted to change something in my life. Farr talked about how agriculture takes 80% of forests, causing major deforestation. I took this to heart and wanted to know what it would be like to go without something that is so widely overused by society. Since it would be hard for me to use agriculture, I used something a little more in vogue, social media. Unlike my fourth grade buddy, Emily Gillette, taking to the extremes and going without her whole phone for a week, I decided to go without my two social media platforms of Snapchat and Instagram for a week. First off, that week was harder than I anticipated. The first day, I was always pulling out my phone to jump on a Snapchat and scroll through stories, but then the harsh, absolutely brutal reality hit me every single time that the Yellow White Ghost app which had been snugly stationed in between my Spotify app and my most important app on my phone, Clash of Clans, had been excised from my iPhone. This did, however, come in handy when doing homework. The only notifications I got were texts from my mom to unclog a toilet or pick up some of her children from school, and Clash of Clans telling me my village was being raided. This limited my distractions to an all-time low. I was able to do my homework a million times faster than when I had the apps. After I was done with my homework, I would usually go on social media for the next hour before bed. However, since I didn't have it, I instead helped my siblings with all their homework and spent more time with my younger brother Daniel, which strengthened our bond immensely. Searching for why social media might not be the best for society, I looked to a letter written to John Quincy Adams, written from his loving mother Abigail, Anna, Abigail Adams while on a diplomatic mission to France. Mrs. Adams contends with her son, saying, All history will convince you of this that wisdom and penetration are the fruit of experience, not the lessons of retirement and leisure. This can be tied together with social media when Mrs. Adams references leisure and lessons of retirement. When many people are caught in an opportunity of leisure, they instantly go to their social media platforms to burn up the time. After a week without this, I can confess that whenever I was bored at school or at my house, my first instinct was to scroll through Snapchat and Instagram. I most easily could have been spending time with my family or grinding out some homework. To make sure my claim wasn't all in my head, I went to a different source to back my understanding using science. Billy Gordon from Psychology Today explains how the ventral tegmental area of the brain, which is the part that releases dopamine, works. The brain monitors social needs by releasing dopamine when we achieve social success and inspiring neurochemical deficits when we don't. This problem can be related to all teenagers young and old. Since your brain development occurs the most from 0 to 18 years old, your brain can start to become hardwired to social media, meaning habits can stick with you for the rest of your life and are extremely hard to shake. To tie things all together, social media is definitely not the move in large quantities. The best kind of social media is little to none. 
We have about 60 to 70 years left on this planet. I'm not trying to waste it by scrolling through social media, trying to live someone else's quote unquote perfect life. Thanks for listening, guys. This was a big missed steak. I ran into the kitchen. It was day five and I was mad. I was over it. I just want a burger so bad. I screamed at my loving mother. She didn't deserve that, but I was deprived and suffering. Wanna know why? It all starts with the dissection of our society. One aspect of life that varies strongly among every human is the diet they maintain day to day. An extreme diet that seems to keep getting more popular and recommended constantly is veganism, which is not having any animal products 24-7. Many who have lived it mostly all have glowing reviews and wondrous remarks of their journey. Countless exclamations of, I feel better than I ever have. My skin cleared up in a week and I feel so alive are the kinds of things I read from vegans I know or read of. So I thought, hey, why don't I give it a try? Warning, this is not one of those reviews. It's real raw reporting. The night before, I went shopping for vegan options and weighed myself to see if my weight would change over the week. Then I began the drastic change of diet. Every night, I was avoiding all the other animal products in my house like the plague as my family members freely enjoyed them. And the article, Hungry Planet, What the World Eats by the Time Staff, they described a family from California whose favorite foods were beef stew, berry yogurt sundae, clam chowder, ice cream. These are non-vegan foods that my family and many others in the U.S. enjoy regularly. This left me to eat my meals separately from them, and I hated this feeling of isolation. I became more frustrated and unhappy over the course of the week because I felt so restricted and alone. When others heard about my challenge, they were barraging me with inquiries, wondering if I was starving all the time. I would explain how I was not starving because I was eating relatively the same amount of food. I was just eating healthier options, and the only thing that was bad was that most times I'd rather be eating something else and couldn't because of my loyalty to the experiment. On day four, I was miserable and wondering if all vegans are in a constant state of miserable too. So I went online to see if that was the case. I then found a women's health magazine article by Jessie Van Amberg in which actress Jessica Chastain described her feelings on her vegan experience by stating that she just had more energy than I ever had in my life in just two weeks. Considering I am much younger than her, I feel like I have energy normally, so maybe it was harder for me to notice an increase in it. Honestly, I couldn't relate. Sorry, Jessica. I was starting to see more and more how different everyone's experience in veganism is, and I began to examine the effect that circumstance has on it as well. Most people go vegan because they don't believe in the killing and consuming of animals and find it inhumane. As Greg Farr explained through his Ethical Choices program presentation, we slaughter 70 billion animals a year. From this statistic and visuals I have seen of slaughterhouses, I understand where those people are coming from. I believe veganism is probably more natural for them. It doesn't bother them as much because they have a strong conviction that is the only correct way to live and they are strong supporters of it. However, me being a carnivore my whole life and believing animals are okay to eat and get protein from, veganism felt very unnatural and rough because I had no extreme support of the lifestyle and was just trying to survive. I did not feel like myself and it was a struggle to avoid the foods I've been raised on. By the end of the week, I was ecstatic. I weighed myself on the last night and realized I had lost two pounds since the first day of veganism. I was happy and shocked, but also promised myself I wouldn't go through this again and that it wasn't for me. 
I see the benefits, and I agree that diets should be healthier and more plant-based overall, but the vegan life was a little too restricted and overwhelming for me. Although my experience was not totally enjoyable and refreshing, I learned a lot and now know that although it may work for others, you don't know if recommended lifestyle lifestyles will work for you until you try them, since everyone differs.